Welcome to The Romantic Side of Suspense with Sarah Hemmerker. In each episode, she'll talk with your favorite romantic suspense authors. They will take you behind the scenes of the writing process, giving excerpts from their writing, and share stories about their writing life. Expired Vows by Laura Conaway She sees the promise of freedom. He vowed to always be the hero. EMT Trace Bentley came back to Last Chance County to escape his past. After the loss of his wife, he gave up a promising career as a police officer for the chance to save lives every day as part of the fire department. When a hostage situation demands the help of a local counselor, Trace realizes the past he left behind has found him. He's being given a second chance to save the life of someone he cares about, if he can face the grief he buried. Family counselor Kelsey Scott has to secure this grant or admit failure. She can't afford to lose any more pieces of the life she wants because of her own choices. When Kelsey becomes the target of a series of dangerous attacks, Trace steps in, determined to protect his wife's best friend. This hero breaks down all her resistance, but Kelsey can't risk her own heart, even if that's what will set them both free. Hi, and welcome to this episode of The Romantic Side of Suspense. I'm your host, Sarah Hammerker, and I'm so glad you joined me. Today, I'm talking with Laura Conway. She grew up in the suburbs of Pennsylvania as an avid reader, and she's a former school librarian, so I know that she loves books, and now she writes them. So we're welcome to my show, Laura. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. So um, now I have to ask, because I'm always curious, former school librarian, elementary school, middle school, high school, or all of them? Where where were you? <laughs> yes, I was a middle school librarian for a while. Uh, it was a pleasure to interact with the kids of that age and um, love all the grades, but middle school definitely has a special place in my heart. So was that sixth, seventh, and eighth, seventh, and eighth? What was the? Sixth, seventh, and eighth. Okay. Yeah. I love middle schoolers. I go, um, our local middle school, which is only seventh and eighth grade, they do a career day every fall. And so I love to go and be, I get to be, I'm author. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So much fun. They are such a great group of kids. Um, I think they get a bad rap sometimes. Yeah. There's some squirrely stuff that goes on. You know, I, I have four kids of my own and they're all out of middle school now. (laughs) Sure. But there was, yeah. some, I know, there was a few squirrely times, but um, yeah, but they're just so curious at that age and they're not afraid to ask questions. Yes. Um, and, you know, to say whether they like something or don't like something, which I think mm-hmm. is just, it's just marvelous. So absolutely. They have such a heart to learn and it's <laughs> exciting to encourage them in that. Yeah. And so my, I will say that all my, I have two girls um, who are in college now and then my two boys are in high school, but they haunted the library and they've been there like all the time checking <laughs> out and, and, and stuff like that. So I think it's, um, yeah. So good job. Good job on you. <laughs> Middle school library. I love that. Thank you. That. Yeah. Um, so what is it about, um, writing romantic suspense that appeals to you? I mean, obviously you're, you, were exposed to a lot of different books. Um, you know, going to school for being a librarian and working in a library. But so what about that genre, this genre that that speaks to you as a author? 
Yeah. So like you said, I feel like I've read the whole gamut of all the genres and have been able to dabble in reading and writing so many. Um, but there's something about just like it keeps the story moving, the suspense. And it's almost like this race against the clock, um, which like I can just never put down a suspense book. It's like I have to, even if I'm up until the wee hours, like I have to finish and find out who did it, what's happening, did they survive? Um, and so I feel like that has just always enticed me and have wanted to pursue that in writing those stories. So um, in doing the research for your stories, um, did you have to research like how to kill people? I can say this because this is a, this is not a real life podcast. This is a writing podcast. Okay. Yes. Yes, it is a, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I have had to research that at times. Um, I try to think more of the, what, uh, what, message of hope am I trying to convey in this story to kind of override the uh, things that I have to research for how do I kill people? How do I make the suspense part engaging? Um, but yes, I have had to do that. Yeah, I always, um, I kind of laugh at, you know, I could do the incognito searches and stuff, yep. but I'm like, yeah, you know, I just figure I'm just doing my part to mess up everyone's marketing algorithm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You know, I had to look up, you know, a particular car because I wanted to know, you know, what the front looked like because, you know, whatever. And I'm like, okay, I'm never buying this Lexus. Okay. Just so everyone knows, not going to happen. You can stop showing me those pictures, Facebook. Thank you very much. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Which I just find hilarious because I'm like, yeah, yeah. Just mess, mess, mess with their brains, mess with that. Um, so, um, how do you, um, Let's see. What do you wish readers knew about the romantic suspense genre? What do you think there's some things that they should know about this genre? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like I get a lot of readers or people in general will ask me, like, romantic suspense is a genre? Like, what does that even mean? (laughs) Um, And so I feel like I have to kind of go through and explain. Um, But yeah, I think just them knowing that it is a, you're combining like this concept of romance and suspense um, and knowing how do you I feel like there's a lot of intricacies with it because you're building two things and putting them together um, in order to make the story engaging um, make you want to fall in love with the characters I think one of the hard things about it um, is like knowing how to create like a lovable um, or even I shouldn't say lovable but more of like a likable villain like how do you make this person um, sympathetic And then at the end, you realize, oh, like they were someone like me, but now they have these things that they did that are not good. Um, And so I feel like allowing readers to see like there are so many intricacies within romantic suspense genre that can make it hard sometimes to mesh it all together into a story. Yes, um, I've been I've been taking to explain what genre means is uh, my hero and heroine fall in love while running for their lives. Mm-hmm. or trying to solve a mystery, you know, like some, they're in danger. There's some sort of, because it's more than just like a cozy mystery. Yes. Yeah. There may be a dead body in a cozy mystery, but there's not a lot of, you know, a lot of suspense. Yes. Built in there. So yeah, I'd like to, they're in danger. That's part of the, yeah. <clears throat> that's part of the storyline. Um, some are more high octane than others. So do you feel like you mm-hmm. write you know, a super suspenseful, medium suspense. What's, what's your suspense level? Do you feel that you're, you're getting in your stories? 
Yeah, I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, so I have some wonderful mentors who are very more like high octane, like these are thrillers, like we're just going for it. Um, and then I have some other writer friends who are like, oh, we're just gonna <laughs> maybe skirt a little bit on the cozy mystery side. Um, and I've kind of found as a comfortable medium for right now. And we'll see if maybe I want to push those edges at some point. Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm, I like to have yeah, a kind of a medium, medium in the middle suspense. Um, you know, things happen, but things don't happen at a clip where I just want to go take a nap. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I just, sometimes I'm like, come on, can they just sleep? I know you're trying to keep the yes. can, can they really just sleep? Because I can't, I just, I'm just yes. so tired. I can't take yes. it. <laughs> can they have like water or food, like a normal human yeah. for a little bit? <laughs> can they take a bathroom break? I mean, you yeah. know, yeah. Oh, the, the mid thing. So, um, yeah, those are the things that I think about. <laughs> Probably not the best things to think about. Um, so, so what comes first for you? Plot, characters, book title, idea? What's, what's the, how do you, how do you start your stories? Yeah, it normally starts with the what if question. Um, so whether, you know, I'm just been observing people or, just figure out like what I've been learning in a season and then come up with that like story seed, um, which kind of drives me to start with the plot. Yeah. Like, oh, what if this would happen or if this could happen? And then based on that, okay, like what would be a good character that would fit into this story? Uh, what would be, you know, something in their past that they've experienced that would mold well into the story that I'm creating? Yeah, I love the what if that's those are always those are always fun. So where do those come from? Is it something that you read or something that you hear in the news? Mm -hmm. Where do you where do those what ifs start? Yeah, I feel like sometimes I need to wear a shirt that says disclaimer, like any conversation you have with me may be used against you. <laughs> um, because I do like anything that I hear or anything that I'm talking to people like it might just spark an idea. Um, yeah. And then I'm like, I'm off to getting on my computer and typing um, and getting that story seed down for the for the plot. Yes, no, I love that. That, that would be a great, I think you probably could sell that to a lot of authors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or be nice to me, or I might kill you in my next book. I mean, that's- Exactly. So, um, yeah, yeah. And what about character names? I always love mm. to ask this. So how, how do you name your characters? Do they do yeah. names come to you? Do you name them? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I feel like as a teacher, I had the opportunity to be exposed to a lot of different names. Um, and so sometimes I'm like, ooh, like this name triggered me the wrong way. Like I maybe I don't want to use this. Or, oh, like this would be a fun name that like I haven't heard before that I want to use. Um, so I normally just keep a running list on my phone. And then when I'm writing a story, kind of just go through that and be like, oh, well, you know, what kind of name do I think would fit this person's personality and their character traits? Yeah, I tend to, when I do my first draft, I tend to only name my hero and heroine deliberately. And then if another name comes to me when I'm writing, I'll throw it in there. Otherwise I'll be just like best friend in caps yep. or <laughs> things like that. Um, so, because I don't want to get bogged down trying to think of the perfect name, then I'll go back and I have a baby book of names and I actually have phone books because last oh, names trip me up. And yeah, yes. years ago, like on next door, I think I just posted, anyone have old phone books? I'll come get them. And it was that such a smart idea. I know. I was like, someone was cleaning. She was, I'm cleaning out the house. I said, I'll be by. It was great. So I have like, I think I have three of them. 
just because I last names are hard for me. They I are. agree. Not everyone can be named Smith Jones Brown. I mean, nope. and you don't want them too exotic, but this was helpful because I could go and look and just kind of go, oh, that was going to fit with this name and that kind of thing. Cause it can just get really kind of murky and tricky and, you know, names matter. Even they do. Even yeah. Like, you know, your villain name, your sidekick name. I mean, they matter. Um, but I get hung up on them sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I totally get that. I put, yeah, I'll say, oh, this was best friend number two or person <laughs> at the grocery store and <laughs> come back to it later. Yeah. Mrs. Caller, I call someone. Yes. Call. <laughs> I knew she was going to be a Mrs., a widow, but I'm like, I don't know her name. I don't have time for this. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then I'll go back and spend the time to make that. And I always put questions in my first draft in there. Check if I can't find it like super quick on Google, I'm like, okay, check that, you know, I'll just write questions in there because I want to get the story down. And yes. then those are some of the things I do with the second draft. Um, so how do you work? Do you have multiple drafts? I know your first one isn't the final one. I know that because nobody's, nobody's no. that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I definitely have multiple drafts. I think the beauty of the first draft is like you said, like you can just put questions, you can put placeholders in there and be able to come back to it. And I think the most important part, at least for me, is just getting that story down uh, for that first draft and then being able to go back and edit it. I say I probably have between like three and four drafts that I go through of like having a plot. I do a lot of like um, background notes first. So I'll do a lot of like research and pre-planning um, before I sit down for that first draft so that I have kind of an idea of where I'm headed with the story and then I can tweak it as I go. Yeah. I totally usually don't. <laughs> it do what depends. I, I need to, I do, if I have to turn in a synopsis and I'm a proposal with a synopsis, then of course I have to think about it and do that. Um, but if I'm just writing for myself, kind of a story, like I'm doing a, I'm going to do a Christmas novella in a collection this, this uh, year. And so I've just been having fun just writing it without really, I mean, I had the basic plot, you know, what yeah. was going to happen. Yeah. And as I write it, I'm figuring out, who's going to be the bad guy and, and why. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I wish I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you don't because it's, it's harder. It's harder when you don't want to write the whole book. So yeah, mm -hmm. but just for myself, I can do that. Well, and unfortunately, Laura, we are out of time. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our readers, our listeners before we wrap up today? Um, yeah, so I'm privileged to have my debut book coming out, Expired Vows, um, and I love to connect with readers. I'm a huge extrovert, um, and so you can find me you know, on social media, through my newsletter, um, but thank you so much for having me today, Sarah. This is a pleasure getting to chat with you. Yeah, it was great having you on. You have been listening to The Romantic Side of Suspense. I've been talking with Laura Conway. She's a former school librarian and she's writing romantic suspense now. And you can find out more about her in the notes to this podcast and stay tuned for a short excerpt from her latest book, Expired Vows. Now an excerpt from Expired Vows by Laura Conaway. Trace jogged across the street and weaved around several patrol cars. The scene commander yelled into his radio, Adrenaline hit him, like electricity, trying to find a circuit and catch a spark. The rush of running into a deadly situation, not knowing what would be on the other side of the door. The child's scream still rang in his ears. Now would usually be the time for prayer, 
But he and God weren't exactly on talking terms, not after all the heartache he'd dealt Trace. He just hoped no one else got hurt and the negotiator's skills proved infallible. Trace approached Basuto. Did they get the negotiator in there yet? It seemed like law enforcement was at a standstill. No one moved. Several heads were lowered in conversation. The scene commander, Chief Conroy Barnes, and a couple of other officers. The guy refuses to see one, the lieutenant frowned. He said he'll only talk with his counselor. That wasn't the cop way to solve a problem. They could end up getting everyone hurt. Right now, it's the only option we have to work with if we want this resolved with those kids safe. Basuto's radio crackled to life, and someone shared intel. We're in a bind right now, Trace. None of us can do anything. Basuto spoke into the device. What's her ETA? The radio crackled. Five minutes out. Copy, Basuto said. We'll continue to hold down. The blinds on the house were shut. From this angle, Trace could see a tan fence enclose the backyard. There was no way to get a look at what was going on inside. The gunman had the upper hand, and he likely knew it. A few minutes later, a gray Impala pulled up to the opposite corner of the house. Officers waved the crowd back, and a woman got out of the car. Trace couldn't make out who it was, other than she had long auburn hair. A counselor knew how to empathize with and talk about someone's feelings. They weren't trained to de-escalate someone who clearly had other intentions in mind. She wouldn't know where to position herself in case any bullets went flying. There was no way he could sit back and do nothing. The whole situation was crazy. This woman could end up getting everyone killed. His legs started moving before his mind knew what he was doing. He needed to talk some sense into this crew and brainstorm a plan B that didn't involve this counselor stepping in the crossfire. Dude, you can't go over there, Basuto called out. Trace made it as far as the fire hydrant several yards from the front walkway before Basuto was in front of him, palm up, legs positioned in a defiant stance. They should really have a better plan in place, or at least think through another option than this. Trace waved his hand in the direction of the team, suiting up a woman who had no clue what she was doing. He raised his heels and strained to see past the entourage of officers. You're not a cop anymore. Basuto crossed his arms. And if you were, I'd be your superior. So back off. The words sliced through the air to take a stab right at his heart. Being a cop hadn't helped him to save the one person who needed him. He'd vowed to never let that happen again, so he'd become an EMT. Yet here he was, stuck in a quandary. He hated being useless. Trace winced. But... Places, everyone. We'll be ready to go in five. The chief's command came through loud and clear on the radio. Basuto waved him off. Go do your job, Trace. Let us take care of ours. Trace shut his mouth. He looked over once more at the team assembling and let out a sigh. 
he made his way back to Andy, who was still with their patient. Kelsey! The name echoed through the air behind him. Trace turned to see what the commotion was about. That was when he saw the counselor turn. She took something from an officer before sliding her hand up to her ear to fit it in place. She gave a thumbs up. Kelsey. She was the counselor? His heart beat faster against his chest at the realization that she was here at the scene. The roof of his mouth dried like flames, licking up the heat. He'd moved here to escape his past, not come face to face with it again. His mind spun with thoughts, but one question rang loudest. What was his dead wife's best friend doing in Last Chance County? Thanks for listening to The Romantic Side of Suspense with Sarah Hammerker. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. You can sign up to receive notifications of upcoming podcasts and listen to previous editions at sarahhammakerfiction.com.